Thank you, Dustin, for uh, being willing to come and to lead again. It's a great privilege to have you. Our beloved Kathy is not feeling her best, and so um, thank you so much for being able to come on last minute. And I also want to thank our sister church, Main Street, for sharing you today. So I know you had some other commitments that were done. It's a real privilege to be here with you this morning, and I wanted to... Uh, continued our our time in first peter so if you would find the letter that's marked first peter and find the third chapter we're going to be beginning or ending a section um, that is really kind of an extension of an ending peter almost is like paul here you know, you know paul is really infamous in his letters for writing a conclusion and then concluding his conclusion and so this is uh, one of those examples of something that was concluded and is now being reconcluded. But the point is, is an incredible point, and it's one that really speaks to the arch of the whole letter, and that is we as Christians will find ourselves in situations that are just terrible. And that oftentimes those situations that are terrible are not situations of our own making, they're situations of persecution because we're followers of Christ or persecution because we're doing the exact same the exact thing that Jesus would have us to do or just persecution because we live in a fallen world and so Peter's writing to a group of people that are experiencing all three of those and some of them all three simultaneously some of them different aspects of those three difficulties of, of life but experiencing all those things and the conclusion from last week is that if Jesus is your king, you're going to respond and act far differently than anyone else. And so this is a reconclusion to that conclusion, but built on that very same assertion that Peter makes, that when Jesus is Lord, when he's the king of us, when he is the ruler of our hearts, we respond differently to the things of this world than anyone else will. wanted to... Uh, share with you a little bit about some things that I've learned recently. I'm a big fan of reading history. I've been that way since a, a teenager. I, I received a, a series of books called Walking with the Giants as a teen, and they were just little biographies of, of different extraordinary individuals, and I just thought that was the coolest thing. I, I'm kind of weird in that I do really enjoy reading, and I've enjoyed reading since I was old enough to read, and I'm one of those kids that probably drove parents nuts. I would read every sign along the way. You know, um, my younger brother took that along, and so, but he was uh, real particular about what signs he read. He was a real rule keeper, and as uh, my dad would be speeding down the road, uh, my brother would read the speeding signs, you know, speed at 55, and has to be back back a long ways to go when 55 was it speed 35 dad speed 35 but I've always enjoyed reading and and enjoyed uh, learning about the things of the past and one of the things that I have discovered over the years of reading is that there's lots of different perspectives about experiences in our past and while you may have a particular understanding of an event when you get to see somebody else's perspective of that very same event uh, it 
can really enrich an understanding all the way around. The Gospels are a great example of that. Matthew, Mark, and Luke share a lot of the same history of Jesus' work here on earth. Uh, John kind of does everything his own way. He has a different perspective that he wants to share. And there's crossover between the four of them, but there's radically different perspectives. And so we have this much better picture of Jesus, not because we have four accounts that all are lockstep with each other, but we have four different perspectives of the message and teaching of Jesus Christ and the confession that he is indeed God in the flesh, the confession that he indeed did take my sin and your sin to the grave. He buried it there. He rose again and is now offering us forgiveness for that sin through his power and presence through the Holy Spirit. And this is good news. And so we have that perspective. And one of the things that I've learned is even recent events can have radically different perspectives. And I am amongst those in this culture who have been fascinated with World War II. And so anything that has World War II, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to, to look at it and to see if it's worthwhile. And, and I had a, uh, some recommendations recently that I, that I took up. And I, I found uh, an individual that is of incredible worth, as many who were involved in that conflict, that worldwide conflict, uh, proved themselves to be individuals of incredible worth. Uh, but this, this individual was even unique amongst the many unique individuals who were incredible and really proved their worth. Uh, he was shot multiple times, which was not unusual in a war. Uh, he survived those shots. However, he was um, permanently disabled because of that. His, one of his arms was, uh, because he received um, a direct hit to one of his arms, it was really not usable. He really wanted to be a carpenter when he came back home from the war, and he wasn't able to do that because his arm just wouldn't work well enough to do that kind of work. Uh, he was also contracted tuberculosis while he was out at war. Again, not something unusual, uh, but in the Army's attempt to help him to overcome that, uh, he was left, uh, due to an overdose of antibiotics, without any hearing. And so he was made deaf because of the treatment for TB and only began to be able to hear his world again uh, when he got a cochlear implant. So it's one of those discs that you've seen some people have on their head. And, and so he had that, that whole apparatus and was able to, to hear a little bit. Uh, he was an individual who uh, suffered uh, tremendously in the service. And it was interesting the reason why he, he suffered. He was an avowed uh, non-gun-toting individual. And so he refused to uh, carry a weapon. And so he volunteered for the service during World War II, was accepted into the service, and he was very open from the very beginning that he was coming to be a medic and that he would not hold a weapon nor fire a weapon or be trained on a weapon, and that wasn't what he was going to do. And so the kind of um, persecution that he suffered is, is really unspeakable, and, and it's, a, it's a matter of record. There were those that saw his stance as being a stance of cowardice and they went to great lengths to wash him out of the service and when that did not work uh, even made it so that he was not able to spend uh, time with his uh, new wife um, because uh, he, he was arrested instead for insubordination because of his stance against weapons all of those 
kind of background things, uh, went into his deployment. And so he was deployed and in a fighting unit as a medic, and he did his job. He had several uh, combat missions in which he performed uh, very admirably, as many, many did, and in fact, winning awards for being wounded in action and behaving with uh, incredible valor. There was one particular one for which he is now famous, and that, that was a battle that left a lot of people dead and dying on the battleground. And because of his faith, and because he saw that the, his behavior as not optional, his faith was so important to him, he said, I cannot in good conscience leave my comrades dying on the field, and so I must go get them. And although the fighting forces had basically withdrawn, there was on the battlefield many who were suffering who were able to be rescued. And so he went unarmed and unaccompanied and got one, and then went and got another 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 one, and again and again and again. So many so that there in the official records is no count, not because it's not countable, but because they just lost track. The official reports say somewhere between 50 and 100, so we'll just be in one night. This unarmed individual went onto the battlefield in the midst of bullets still flying, in the midst of enemies still occupying, and rescued people who cannot rescue themselves. When asked about it, he said simply, my faith demanded I do so. And so I see this really incredible example not necessarily contemporary, it hasn't happened in the last five years or even 15 years, but very much part of our culture as a great example of this passage that we're going to be looking at today. It's a passage that is a challenge to us because this kind of extraordinary behavior is celebrated because it's so unusual. However, Peter says to us, who are followers of Jesus Christ, who belong to him, this is the standard for you. Because of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, because the Spirit of Jesus rests in you, this very same character that we see in a fellow by the name of Desmond Doss is the very same character that those that belong to Jesus have. And that we, because of our faith, ought to behave in like manner. 1 Peter 3 and if you've already found it, I'm going to encourage you to find the 13th verse. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager for doing good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will what? Reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as what of your life? Lord. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that's what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Now, in looking at the documentary that um, 
was made of Mr. Doss's life. I don't recall this particular passage being mentioned, but I do remember multiple things that he said that would be, could be drawn exactly from this passage. It's like, I know that I'm suffering because I'm doing what I know is right. However, if that suffering comes, I'm not going to be afraid. And that very same passion that he had here stateside to get through boot camp, to get through his assignments, to get through his training, to get to the battlefield was the very same character that allowed him to be incredible beyond measure. National Medal Honor recipient level. Highest honor because of his faith. Also want to connect this passage to something that Peter heard from Jesus' lips himself. One of the great gifts that we have in Jesus' ministry is the gift of the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded in Matthew and in Luke, and the teachings are also recorded in Mark and John. But this, this very compressed, this is who you are if you're following me, is such a blessing. And it's also a horrifying challenge as well. If you read Matthew 5 and 6, uh, you will find things that absolutely are counterintuitive to all thoughts. They're the same kind of thinking that would put a guy confidently on the battlefield without a weapon. I'd at least want a stick. I just want to, you know, okay, no guns, train me on sticks, okay? G give me something. But he went armed with his passion for the Lord. And so one of the things that we see in this letter that is such an encouragement to this day is that zealous good brings great reward. Zealous good brings great reward. But what we want as human beings, what we want is we want reward now. We want to be zealous for doing things that are good and to have somebody post about it on Facebook, right? Or to have a meme with us on it that goes viral that is very flattering and isn't one of those. I always feel sorry for those people that... You don't know who they are, but they're on some meme, you know, and it's a mean meme. You know, have you ever thought about that? You know, these pictures, you know, I, I don't know if you, you read the news, but on, on the Internet, I, I do. And at the bottom is all the, that clickbait stuff, you know, and, you know, the, my, I've got several that I could talk to you about. Uh, but one of them is about cheaters. And, you know, so there's some person that has their picture. You know, it's like if, if you want to know the five whatever about what a cheater how you know if somebody's a cheater then and then they have this picture of this person it's like did they did they want to be connected to cheating and uh, you know how to find out if your boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse is is cheating i i, I don't know but we, we really want to be rewarded we want to have people to affirm us and we want it right now and we feel like if we don't get that right now that somehow or another it's bad in fact that it's really bad and right now in our culture we're very much addicted to slamming things that we don't particularly care for if we have a bad experience when everybody know about it if we disapprove of something when everybody know about it we're just constantly putting our opinion out mostly through um, the social media sites whether it be TikTok or twitter or facebook or snapchat or something that i don't even know about um, i had a friend recommend reddit to me and I undid my Reddit because it's like, this is just way too much. Uh, I love information, but this is just, I'm not, not doing that. So, but we, we want to be heard and we want to, you know, let, let people know, hey, this is, 
this is what I'm upset about. But the flip side is we want that immediate affirmation. And what Peter's telling us, and what is the truth about the Christian life, is where our reward is coming is not now. In fact, if we get it now, that's all we got. You, Jesus, like, said that. That's it. It's done. You, you know, you're, this is your reward. So I don't know about you, but for me, the reward I get right now doesn't hang around very long. If somebody comes in and says, man, I just really appreciate you, and I decide, that's awesome, that's great. Um, and I, It makes me feel good, but I know it's done. Because right behind that could be somebody come up and say, I don't like you. Or you did something that really made me upset. And so that, that great affirmation that I just had and it made me feel warm and fuzzy now is just somebody popped my balloon, right? Have you had this happen to you? you know, the, how about the reward of money? How long is that hound around? You know, I, I've had this situation where it's like you get something in the mail you didn't expect. It's like, wow, this is great. Then you get something else in the mail that you didn't expect. It's like, thank you, Lord, that I can take this to go to that, right? Okay, y'all, y'all are living in the same world I am. You know, these, these rewards are very, very temporary, and that's, we live in the very temporary. But if we're in Christ, we are given the grace of the great eternal, and that reward lasts forever. It, it's, it's, a, it's a, a very difficult thing to, to grasp because we live in the temporary. That's the only life that we have. But if, if you could just imagine, and, and one of my favorite writers, C.S. Lewis, does a phenomenal job just imagining what this is like in a book that he, he in several of the things, but uh, Paralandra is really about this whole concept. But if you can imagine enjoying something equally well forever, it doesn't get old. That's the kind of reward that's reserved for those who are in Christ. It's that joy that you have when you hold a child for the very first time and they Google at you all the time. It's that joy that you have when there's a success in your life and you know, hey, this is an accomplishment. And it's there. It doesn't diminish. It doesn't fade. It doesn't go away. There isn't something else washing over it. And that is why as heaven is being described, it is such a difficult thing to communicate to us who live in this world. Because we're very used to every good thing fading away. But heaven is where there is no fading. And that kind of reward, we, we think, okay, a reward in heaven, oh, that's to be nice. You know, I'll get my reward and everybody, good job. You know, and then it's like, then what? I get a harp in a cloud. Boring, right? Right? Okay, I don't want to sign up for that either. And that's not at all what the scripture says heaven is like. Heaven is that reward that the joy of just continues to roll and that that's our existence. And there's nothing to keep that from rolling. There is no gravity pulling that down. That's worth looking forward to. That's worth enduring things that you know is going to last but a little while. And even if you're despised by your comrades, even if you suffer wounds without being able to fight back because you ain't got no gun, even if, even if the treatment to make you better makes you worse and ends up with you being worse off than you were before, even if you survive the one that you gave your heart to, even if 
All of those things happen, and they do happen over and over and over again. We know in Christ Jesus the reward is forever. And so when Jesus says in Matthew, the fifth chapter, to his followers, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. And what that, that whole, the, I just want to break right there, that whole idea of hiding a city on a hilltop, I, I don't think that we quite get that because we, we haven't really had to do this, but being some World War II role today, uh, they left New York City lit up when World War II got going. And so the Germans thought it was wonderful because they came with their submarines. They popped up their periscopes. Everything's lit up. And so they were able to see in silhouette where they needed to aim. And so in New York City Harbor, torpedoed all sorts of ships. Why? Because they were great aims? No. Why? Because the city was lit up. And so everybody that heard this at this time knew the significance of a city that can't be hidden. You can't hide from those that want to attack. Okay, this isn't a, oh, look at that pretty city, how the, you know, because that's kind of how we think of it, right? You know, we, we, we like to go over to Davout Park and look at Cincinnati sparkle and, and shine, and that's a good thing. But here it's, it, it's, you can't hide it, you can't get away from it's there, and those that want to attack it know it is there. No, one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket, instead a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. And Jesus says this, in the same way, let your what? Good deeds do what? Shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise you, so everyone will TikTok you, so everyone will Twitter about you, so everyone will post about Facebook about you, so everybody happy about you? No, no so that they're praised your heavenly father. And that's where our reward comes. When your heavenly father says, you did what I instructed you to do. In the midst of the danger, you were the city on the hill. In the midst of the darkness, you were the lamp that was on the lampstand. In the midst of all the difficulty of life, you're the one that went into the battlefield and got person after person after person at risk of your own life so that you could give me praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your rest. That's what we're called to. That's who we're supposed to be. And I think that we, we've lost sight of, of this as our mission as followers of Jesus Christ. We like to do things that get other people to think that we're nice and good and well. When the truth is, we're commanded to do things so that God is glorified. So that people who may not even Know him or praise him. I had a friend just a few minutes ago tell me that an interaction they've been having week in and week out has resulted in a, the person with whom they're interacting, who's not a follower of Jesus Christ, saying, you almost have me convinced that there are no coincidences that God is real. That's the kind of light that we're supposed to be shining continuously. Peter also says that suffering for right is the promise of God. Look to verse 14 of this passage. But even if you suffer for what is doing is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. 
Instead, worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if somebody asks you why you're doing what you're doing, share with them that reason. And that's a great challenge, isn't it? Because it's always a temptation for us if somebody actually sees us doing good and wants to commend us for doing good, that we just say thank you. All right? That's polite, right? Somebody says, hey, you know, thank you. You open the door for somebody and let them through. Thank you. You know, that, that you give generously to something that you don't necessarily have any dog in the fight, as they say. And they say thank you. And it's really easy to just say you're welcome and leave it at that. It's kind of awkward to say, well, let me tell you why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I'm loved by Christ, and he wants me to know how much he loves you too. Try it sometime. Yeah, I can tell in your faces, even behind the mask, ain't happening. Just try it sometime. You'll, you'll, you'll get some spectrum of, of responses. I've, I've done that. You know, just... Sometimes not even out of spirituality, just to see what kind of reaction I'm going to get. You know, try it sometime. Connect who you are in Christ to Christ and let people know about it. Here's what Jesus says about what may happen. Matthew 5, verse 11. God blesses you when people do what? Mock you. And persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Jesus promises to those who belong to him, and Peter speaking to this group of people who probably weren't listening to Jesus because they didn't even know about him at the time, but he's giving them this information. Jesus promises. That if we're genuinely following Christ, if we're genuinely doing the things that he's commanded us to do, people are going to mock. Oh, aren't you one of those little goody two-two-shoes? People will persecute you. No, I, I don't think that we want somebody like you in that position. You know, you're, you're really close-minded and um, you're a hater and you know, the, the kind of views that, that your people hold are not acceptable here. And so... You know, you can just stay where you're at, or better yet, you can just find some other place to work, or find some other place to play, or find some other place to live. One of the accusations that these Christians had to deal with is, uh, it came up in our small group this morning, uh, that they were cannibals. Because they practiced, every time that they met, practiced taking of the Lord's table. And they confessed that by the blood of Christ, my sin is washed away. By the body of Christ, I am made whole. And that was part of their confession. And so people literally accused, like in writing, we have documents that have survived these years or portions of documents that have survived this year that specifically make the accusation that these Christian people are cannibals. They even talked about how the... the the, the bread that was prepared was um, enveloped an infant. And so it was like, you're not just a cannibal, you're like a baby eater. I mean, that's like real bad, right? And so that's how this group, these radical religious folks, amongst a lot of religions that were going on at the time, were spoken about. And so they knew this firsthand. 
But I don't think that we need to be accused of cannibalism or eating infants to be the recipient of all sorts of evil things. Maybe he's in things that are opposite from what exactly is true. Isn't that kind of the most annoying lie? I mean, if it's just absurd, but if we've done this thing and it's a fact and evidence we've done this thing and we're accused of doing the exact opposite, like for instance, let's just take an easy one. We actually hold the door open for somebody that's walking in, okay? And then somebody says, you wouldn't believe it. They looked right at me and then closed the door. You ever had that happen to you? Isn't that just super annoying? You're just like, no, that's exactly the opposite of what happened. I mean, my fingerprints are, where is the forensic team? We'll go get it, you know? Kind of, but if we belong to Christ, it is just that kind of evil that will happen. Not because we're not doing the things we're supposed to be doing, but because we are. And Peter says, know this ahead of time, but do it anyway. I love this testimony of Mr. Doss because he knew what was going to happen as much as any individual who was preparing to do a war that they had never experienced before could understand. And he knew he was going to do it with only the defense of the Holy Spirit and the passionate presence of his conviction in his life. That was it. He knew it. And yet he went forward anyway. When all the people that were around him, his, his mates in his platoon, his superiors were encouraging him not to. He said, no, I have good to do. and I'm going to do it. Period. Third thing that we must do is connect the spirits to work to the testimony that others see in us keep your conscience clear it says in verse 16 then if people speak against you then they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to christ remember it's better to suffer for doing good than if that's what god wants than to suffer from doing wrong Jesus, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, is recorded as saying this. You've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's a good human law, isn't it? You know, if they're living next door to you, get along with them. If you don't like them, get rid of them, period. Just do everything that you can to head back. But I say... Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. For if you love those, only love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Don't you just love that whole passage? You know, don't you want to just put that on your mirror you know, in the morning? Just read that passage. 
I mean either. Let's just be honest. You know, we love to hate our enemies because that's why we call them enemies, right? You know, we don't want to pray for those that persecute us unless we pray like David prayed. It's one of my favorite psalms. Lord, break their teeth. You know, I got this thing about teeth, and, you know, it's just like, that's like the ultimate. You know, it's have your teeth broke. You know, we don't want to do that kind of prayer. That, you know. And this whole idea about being perfect, what is up with that? I mean, Jesus said no, nobody's perfect. You know, he says it right here. God's perfect. What does he mean? Simply this. Every time that we choose to be obedient and respond to human beings the way that God's responding to human beings every moment of every day, then we reflect his power and presence in our life. And in that moment, in that time, we take what is given to us and that's perfect. Do you realize that every moment of every day, God deals with billions of people that say he doesn't exist? Do you realize that every moment of every day, God's aware of folks who are kicking chickens for no reason other than they just are mad, who are beating children for no other reason than they can, who are abusing their spouse or their child because they can who are taking things from somebody that has them because they can, who are being violent to complete strangers. And this is one of the things that it's like, have you seen this? There's just folks who just walk by a complete stranger and punch them. Like hard. Knock them over. It's happening around the world. Just, I mean, who does that? I mean, no reason they're not angry with that particular individual. They just can, so they will go and punch him. And some of these people are elderly. There's a guy, and I was reading just this, this week, 73-year-old man, got a knock on his door. He comes out of his door. And so this, this two or three young men beat him to a pulp and leave him on the doorstep. They don't go in and rob him. There's no other thing other than they could, and they did. Like, who does this stuff? You know, and we go, oh, man, that's, that's terrible. That's awful. But do you realize, just think with me, just for a moment, do you realize that God knows the name of every single person on this planet simultaneously? I know that blows your mind, blows my mind too. He knows what they're doing right now simultaneously. I don't even think about that. Not only that, the scripture says that he's holding them together the very essence of their being is an act of grace of God. Everybody, all the time, right now. I know how I feel about just certain things. And I know that if I were God, which was an interesting little Hollywood excursion a little while ago. It was a couple of If I Were God movies, you know. If I were God, I wouldn't be up in heaven like, oh. Look at those people. We really should kind of fix some things here and there. You know, all those passages in the Bible that, that Christians get made out of fun, you know, about fire and annihilation and those kind of things. If I were God, it had already done. And I'm not talking about other people. I'm talking about me. If God, if I were God looking at me, done. 
How many times have I begged the wrath of God? I don't know. There's no way I could count. And yet, and yet, Paul writes to the church at Rome, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get better. He didn't wait for us to realize, well, there's a bigger thing going on here that I need to really start paying attention to. He didn't wait for us to to cry out and say, I'm suffering, I need something to help me know. While we were still doing what we do in all of our wickedness, he came and he rescued us. Not by paying some third party, but by taking my filth upon himself as we just sang lyrically. And taking that filth in all of its absolute despicable reality and burying it in the sea of his forgiveness. And then not just offering a reprieve from eternal death, which is something that we call hell, but saying that I will give to you my presence now, that I will deal with your brokenness and your continued filth and your continued wickedness, and I will endure you, not as somebody who is trying to endure you, but as somebody who is so gracious that I am in you and I'm propelling you to a life that brings great reward, not in the temporary now, but the forever. And that is the immensity in just a little, little paragraph of the God who spoke to a group of people who had to be looking at each other like, what? Did you just hear what he said? And yet was undeterred and loved them And that's the real challenge for us, brothers and sisters. And this is the one we, we need to stop being satisfied with our little checklists of how we are great. And looking in the mirror and saying, oh, okay, I, I got her down. I'm doing this and this and this, and I'm not doing that and that and that, so I'm thumbs up. And be able to come as Peter did to Jesus, completely stripped of every ounce of dignity because of his own behavior of looking at his Lord and Savior straight in the face and saying, I've never met the man. And receiving the grace of the challenge to go feed the sheep. He knew what he's talking about. He knew what suffering was. And he would indeed end his life as church history records being sacrificed as well. But he didn't do it to make up for the sins of the past. He did it to reflect the grace of the present. So, my challenge to you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, take this passage, take the passage that I believe that it is based upon, if not just reflective of, and take it to heart. Be zealous for doing things that will bring great reward, not here necessarily. And we do get things, so you, get, you do something good, there's still enough good in this world that some people will say, that was really good, thank you. But 
That's not what we live for. We live for, this is good because I was good in you and it's eternal. Don't take the sufferings that we have in this world as some sort of annihilation of our faith, but as an encouragement, just as Mr. Doss did. I'm sure it, it, it would only be reasonable. It's like, Lord, here I am working out my faith, doing what I know that you've told me to do. I don't have no gun. So couldn't you have let them miss at least once, right? I mean, you get shot once, it's like, okay, it was lucky. You know, but I, I think the, he was five times shot. It's like, Lord, three would have been good. You know, two. Could I not just have one day of a honeymoon? Just one day? Did I have to spend that entire time of my leave in prison because I'm confessing you? Will you choose to Make sure that the things that you do, that people do take note of, whether it be in derision or in delight, and say, this is because of Jesus in me. Because this world needs to see people who belong to him do exactly that. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, will you choose to receive the great grace that he's given you in forgiveness of your sin, which is your choice to do as you please, and choose to be a follower of his, to deny your right to make your own decisions and allow him to be right in you. Will you do this, this moment, allow him to change you by the power and the presence of the very same spirit I've been speaking of today? Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to share your word. Lord, I thank you that these things are not things that are easily accomplished um, but they can only be done through your divine intervention and that we know that, they can that they're present in us only as a result of your presence in us. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I ask that this would not just be one of those uncomfortable words given on a Sunday, but Father, that this would be a challenge that's taken up day after day for the sake of not our shine, but the sake of your shine. Lord, I confess that these things are a challenge to me as I work in the business world and deal with the frustrations of life and reality. But God, keep on pumping in me that passion to do good even in the midst of things going bad. God, I pray for those that may be checking in, whether by quote-unquote accident or on purpose, who just don't know you. Lord, I'd ask that even these hard words would be a stirring in their hearts because of your spirit. And God, that you'd rescue them and that you'd let them know amongst the billions of people on this planet that you know them by name and that your love is so great that long before they were born, you saw them and your love was so great that you gave your life so that they might have your life in return. Thank you for the mystery of 
the good news of Jesus Christ for the gift that you've given us and the forgiveness of our sin. And for the days that we have ahead, whether they be full of great joys or full of immeasurable difficulties, that we know that this is not the end, but that you are the beginning of all things. Let us rest to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.